Good morning, church. So we're going to be in Psalm 34, if you want to turn there. Psalm 34. Man, this is, you're going to be so excited. I know you're already super excited just after getting to sing those songs and the worship time that you're here, but I'm going to up it even more. I'm going to teach you, show you how to live a much longer life, have a better marriage, uh, be more content, and have more peace. Aren't you excited? We're going to talk about joy. Uh, we've been going through, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, but we've been going to the Old Testament and just looking at characters and doing character sketches of people who have, you know, exemplified these traits in their lives, and us just learning from them. We're in the midst of renovation, like right here, right, uh, is kind of, so we just have this overarching uh, uh, subject, and then we kind of made it smaller, and and today it's even a little smaller, we're just going to talk about joy. So we've talked about goodness, and kindness, and peace, and patience, and faithfulness, and now we get to talk about joy. So what is joy? Um, Well, I... First of all, I like dressed the best I could to exemplify joy. Does this look like joy to you? It's, this is as good as my closet will allow me to go. But, uh, but uh, I want to talk to you about what is joy. You know, it's so much associated with happiness. In fact, I don't know that you wouldn't say that it's happiness. Do you know, like when you, when you watch um, game shows and one of the the big prizes that come out are the, what they, you know, they win a lot of money or they win a car. And what do they usually do? Do they just like, that's nice. I wish it was blue, you know? I mean, they don't do that, do they? I mean, they are like jumping up and down like kids, you know, that just get to go to Disneyland or something. They are super, super excited. What are they exemplifying? Happiness? Joy? Would you not say that it is joy? Would it not... Happiness and joy, I think, are the same thing. It's just that joy can go further than happiness can go. Uh, and so we have to have two words to be able to distinguish the two. A lot of, pe- a lot of times when people are trying to express joy or, or explain joy, maybe rather, they're, they're always trying to say, well, it's different than happiness. But I think, it is, I think joy is happiness. It's just that when we are in Christ, when we have... Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then this, this, this subject, this subject of happiness and joy isn't robbed from us when we have valleys or we have difficulties or struggles or trials. Because when you have struggles and trials and difficulties and extreme, just major problems in your life, your happiness can go away. But your joy doesn't go away, not if you're in Christ. And that's one of the things that I want us to talk about uh, today. So we're going to be in Psalm 34. It has a title to our psalm. Um, If you're, well, it doesn't matter probably what you're in. I'm in in the ESV, but this is in the ESV. This is the title that it gives us before it actually gives us, you know, our passage. It says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so he drove him out, so that he drove him out and he went away. 
Now, if you want to read about that, that's going to be in like 1 Samuel chapter 21, around verse 13. But you'll probably want to just read like that whole area, that section. But in a nutshell, what's going on is David is fearful of his life. And he is running from Saul. He's just trying to hide out to any place that he can find a place to hide out. Abimelech, the king, uh, finds David and it, it... it terrifies David in a sense that he just knows that he's just going to give him over to Saul or he's going to kill him on behalf of Saul or, you know, something bad's going to happen. And so what is it that David does? Well, according to our title, he changed his behavior. What did he do? He all of a sudden act like a madman, like he was just crazy. You know, he just started, I don't, I don't want to even try to express it because I would do a terrible job, but he starts drooling. It says in the scripture that he starts letting drool come down his beard, you know, and he's just acting like he's out of his mind, you know, and the, and, and so the king knows who he is, but he just also knows that he's no threat. This is a crazy man. Just let him, just let him, get him out of here kind of thing. And that's what he does. I find that interesting. I started thinking about that when it comes to just this whole concept of joy, you know. I find it interesting that David, before he really, I think, um, describes to us how to have joy, um, this is like the, the context for which he writes this. He's acting. He's pretending to be something that he wasn't. You know, I've always kind of been taught uh, from Bible college on that, that if you want to be something or to be someone different, then you start acting different. You know, if you want to be more confident, then you've got to start acting more confident. Uh, you just don't wait until confidence shows up at your door you know, because it probably won't show up there like that. You know, you, you can start behaving in a way. And, and, and I think that this is just, there's something true about this and just about every subject or every aspect of our lives. If you, want to, if you want to be more loving, instead of just waiting until love just fills your heart and you just, you know, are radiating it, if you want to be more loving, just start being more loving. You know, um, there's so many times that, and I'm not the... I'm not a very good counselor, just so y'all know. If you come to me, you're going to get mediocre, maybe, okay? Um, But one of the things that I've learned in just reading a lot about about this is, like in a marriage, when when two couples are not doing well, you know, they don't have good feelings towards one another, the most effective thing that I've ever been able to share with couples is to just try to convince them to start acting the way that they want that relationship to be. You know, if they want that relationship to, if they want to feel more loving towards the other person, then start behaving like you have those feelings. Even though you don't have those feelings, start acting like you do. And eventually your acting will start producing the feelings later. And I think this is just the way that it is meant to be. We talked about this in my Sunday school class, but you know, Jesus not only has a lot to say about love, right? He commands it. He says, Love your neighbor as yourself, and he and just all kinds of uh, things, uh, you know, about that. That it's like a command to love one another as I have loved you, and things of this sort. He's also done that with forgiveness, right? You forgive them, or what? 
or I'm not going to forgive you. I mean, he says this repeatedly over. And, and so often I think that we kind of have this mindset, well, I can't just not, I, I can't just get, do away with these feelings, Jesus. And so we're, we kind of have this thought that he's asking us to do something that we have no power to do, right? But we do have the power to do it. It's just that the actions have to come first. And so that's why he's commanding it. He, he's telling you to forgive those who wrong you or have done something to upset you. And so what is it he's commanding? He's commanding a, an action, a behavior. And if you will just start treating somebody that you have hard feelings towards, you just start treating them with love, you start praying for them. In fact, the Bible tells us what? We're supposed to pray for our enemies, right? And if we start praying for them, we start treating them with kindness, even though inside we just do not want to and we don't have those feelings at all. I'll tell you, I don't know when it'll happen. I don't know if it'll be tomorrow or not, but I guarantee at some point your feelings will all of a sudden catch up with your actions. And now you're going to feel the forgiveness because you, you acted it out first. I just find that, that interesting. This is just what came to my mind as I was reading and contemplating Psalm 34, right? And finding out that David, in the midst of writing this that we're going to look into, He's pretending to be somebody he's not. And it benefited him uh, greatly. And can we do the same thing? Can, can we choose to behave and choose to have, you know, actions before the feelings come? And the answer, I think, is yes. We can. We can do that. I want to talk to you about joy. My sermon in a nutshell is just simply this. Joy is a choice. It's a choice. You know, uh, we're in the midst of renovation. I, I think, uh, you know, I was thinking about that. Like, are there things in your house that you know need to be renovated, but you just don't want to do them? You know, um, I think that there's a lot of those kinds of areas, right? Not only things like in our house that need to be renovated, we just don't want to do them. Um, but I think also, like, do, do you know that you ought to eat well? Like you should eat, you know, your fruits and vegetables and, and your, your meats and stay away from the cookies and the cakes and the donuts and all of this, right? You know that. You don't have to have a, you know, a scientist or give you all of these data things. You know that that is best, but... And so we, we know the outcome of that would be good too, right? It's the same way with exercise and things of that sort. We know if, if we did this behavior, we know what the outcome would be, and the outcome would be exactly what we want and have been wanting for so long. But man, that's just hard to do. But it is a choice though, isn't it? It's just, it, in the moment that you make the choice, then everything just seems to fall into place. And if you've, ever, if you've ever done a diet that's successful, that's where it started, is when you truly decided no more donuts, no more cake. Uh, that's just the way it is. Or when you renovate a house or something, of that, I mean, you know, renovate a room or renovate a project of any sort, it's the moment that you decided, okay, I'm doing it. And then actions just begin to fall in place. The next thing you know, you, you got what you're after. And I think joy has a lot to say about that. When I was in college, there was a book. I remember the title of the book. 
I've never forgot the book. I think, of the, I think of the book quite often. I don't remember the author's name. You could Google it, okay? But the title of the book is just Happiness is a Choice. That's what it is. I just picked this thing up randomly. I had to have a book report, and it was due. And it was like due tomorrow. I've been putting this thing off because that's what I love to do. And I just went to the library, grabbed the first book. I think it was a psychology class, and I had to have something. And so, man, I just got that book, and it looked like it would be pretty easy read, and it was pretty easy read. Uh, it was kind of thick. It looked like a thick book, but it had really big words. I love that. Um, but uh, I remember that book. Out of all the books I read in college, I like that one really stuck with me. It really meant a lot to me. But in a nutshell, it's just like what I'm trying to say to you. His whole premise is, is that happiness is a choice. Now, he obviously said, you know, there are some rare, rare circumstances where like maybe a chemical imbalance prevents that without some other help of some sort. But, and, but he says, but most people are medicated and they don't need to be medicated. They just need to make a choice. And there's just something about that book that really just stuck with me, right? That in most cases, it's just us whether we choose to be happy or not. Regardless of the circumstances, and I really think what he was talking about there is joy. To some degree, especially if he is connecting it with our relationship with God. Because once God comes into the picture, we have everything that we need like to have joy. It'd be like, it'd be like having a renovation project and, and the truck's already delivered everything that you need to be successful in that renovation. Maybe they even delivered the help, like the Holy Spirit, Right? Um, and, and they have everything. The only thing that they need now is just your permission, your participation, your, your choice of let's do this thing. And I kind of think that that's the way it is when we are in Christ. Biblical joy is, is it's choosing to be like satisfied with Jesus. Like he's all I need. That's, that's all I need. When I have Jesus, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what whether it's like I feel like the guy that just won a car and it's real easy to just, you know, show joy and happiness or whether, you know, something really is terribly happening to me and I still don't have like that bubbly, you know, I want to jump up and down and joy, but, but I have this contentment and this peace about me that's still connected with joy. Just because I have Jesus and because I know that Jesus has me. I know that he will lift me up, and no matter what situation I'm in. Ironically, here we have David, and he's in a really tough situation. He's in the valley, right? He's, he's having a difficult time, but he's still expressing that, the, he's expressing joy. In fact, you won't even see the word joy being used in our scripture, but that's really what it is, it is, is being expressed here, is joy. And as we'll look a little bit further, just the the Psalms before that have the word joy, and we'll look at that. But David was, I think he was, for the most part, most all of his life, just had this sense of joy that was going on in his life. And part of the reason we know that is because he wrote so many songs about just his inner emotions, his inner being. And this is just one of them. So I want you to notice as we walk through this, and we're just going to read through the scripture here, Psalm 34, and I want you to see, I want you to notice the, the choosing attitude that, Paul, that David had 
in this. Verse 1, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I just want you to think about that just for a second. Just contemplate it. I will bless. He's like choosing it, right? You know, I'm going to do this. His his praise shall continually be on my mouth. Like, I... It's just going to be there. I've made that decision. Does David know what's going to happen when he wakes up tomorrow? I mean, is he just going to write another song? Well, uh, yesterday I chose to let it be on my lips. Yesterday I chose to bless. It's not the way he was expressing this, unless he rewrites you know, something that's totally not the way that he is. But it's as if, regardless of what's coming tomorrow, regardless of what is around the bend, I choose to praise and I will continually have, you know, I will continually have his praise or have praise in my mouth about him. Verse 2, it says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Like there's something deep within me, not just, I'm not just going to, it's not going to just be an emotional outward appearance, but Deep enough that even if the outward appearance doesn't cooperate (laughs) inside, I'm going to choose this thing. I'm going to choose to boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever. There just seems to be this attitude that, that David has decided that he is going to just choose to be this way choose to praise, what he chooses to come out of his mouth, what he's going to boast about no matter what. And then he invites us, right? He invites us to do this with him. He's inviting you to make a decision to whether you want to choose to do this, to have this same attitude that he has. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord. Again, there seems to be this sense of choosing, right? You choose, do you choose to seek the Lord? Sure you can, right? And he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamped around those who fear him and delivered him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Doesn't there just seem to be something joyful about his words here? Just taste and see that the Lord is good. Even in the midst, I mean, we just sang some songs like this. I wish I had songs memorized, but... But the song was just expressing the ones that we were just singing, regardless of what's going on in my life, whether I'm in a valley, I'm going to choose to praise your name kind of attitude. That's the same thing that David is expressing here. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Bless the man who, who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Like he always satisfies the longing of our heart. Come, old children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 
What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, but cuts off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cries for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all their bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his saints. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is like David's joyous cry of no matter what you're in, he will deliver you. No matter what you're in, you can have this sense of hope and radiance about you, the sense of contentment and peace about you, no matter what is going on in your life. But somehow I got to convince you that like it's a choice, that when you leave here, you can leave with joy. You know, a recent study has shown that doing this one thing, I promised that I would deliver on this, this one thing, would, it would increase like your life completely. It would it would increase your years. You'll live longer if you'll do this one thing. It's an accurate uh, prediction of how fulfilled your marriage will be. This one thing. Are you excited about that? Do you know what it is? It's this right here. It's a smile. I mean, I seriously, I... I I didn't believe it either. I, I, I can see it on your faces. You're like, yeah, right. If I knew that it was that easy to fulfill my marriage, man, I would be beaming from right to left, you know, way before the day, right? But seriously, they, they have done studies on this. There's like three different studies I want to share with you right now that there's something about people who smile and smile on a regular basis that, in, that increases the days of their life, and it increases their relationships. One of them, it talks about that uh, uh, when you smile, no matter how you felt, if you just, even if you fake it, remember we were talking about acting when David was acting, and I was telling you, you know, that just, just do it. Just do the actions, the feelings will come. Smiling is like that. If you will just smile even when you don't feel good, somehow the studies show that it releases some of the hormones of some sort that literally makes you start feeling better. Now, you've been in a situation where you've probably not been, you know, very joyous at all, and somebody, you encounter somebody that makes you laugh, Especially if it's a gut-wrenching laugh, right? You just go away feeling better than the way, the way that you encountered that relationship. They're, they're, I, I know that what they're saying is true because we've all experienced it to some degree as well. That it alters your mood if you just smile. Let me tell you, I've been trying to smile a little more lately. I want some help, right? 
You know, smiling is a, a predictor of longevity. This is a study that was done. What they did was they took Major League Baseball cards of 1952. All right? They took all of these baseball cards, 1952, and all they did was they went through, because they already know the outcome of these people, right? These Major League Baseball players. So they just wanted a picture of their smile. And they, they took all the ones that were, you know, sort of smiling, the ones that were smiling, and the ones that weren't, and then that was their, what they based their study upon. How well did they do? And, and this is what they found. They found that the span of a player's smile actually predicted the lifespan. Unsmiling players lived rough around 73 years old. Smiling players lived at least seven years longer. I don't know. Similar, there was another study that examined the smile of students from yearbooks, right? And they did this, the study, this is a little, little bit spooky, but it says that this talked about the length of a student's smile. Uh, they were able to predict things like the, just how, how well they engaged people, like how people like, interacted with them, how they liked them, you know, and found favor in people. Um, you know, the, how well they did in life, you know, just, just going through, you know, the, trying to achieve the things that they achieved and also even, even having higher goals than other people was predicted by their smile, how their relationships and their marriage and stuff like that was better for the people who smiled from, you know, had these big grins on your ear, but man, I wish I would have smiled more. So where do we stack up to all that? Who, who, who are the best smilers that you know? So yesterday I got to take pictures of a wedding there in Bartlesville, that, that John Stone uh, place that's right there by the Painted Horse and, and uh, uh, Hideaway Pizza. It's like a hotel. I didn't even know it was there. Never been in there. Man, that thing is pretty awesome. It, it's pretty neat. Harrison Ford, I missed him by like three days, I think. He was... He was there just recently, which was kind of cool. Um, but uh, so I was taking these pictures of this wedding, and, and when they did the dance, you know, uh, after they did like the first dance and, you know, the, the mom-son dance and things, they had everybody come out. It was a good idea. I've never done this at a wedding either, but the, the DJ had everybody come to the floor to get a group picture. And so she told me ahead of time that, you know, be ready for this. And so I kind of was ready. And I mean, Everybody at the wedding, and there were so many people there. I mean, there was a lot of people from the college, a lot of people from the hospital that was there. And there was just all these people out on the dance floor, I taking their picture. And then right after that, she's like, something, I don't know, she led into, uh, so let's dance. And then she turned on the music. And it was pretty much impossible to not at least a little shake, a little something, right, before you left, because you would have looked really weird just walking off with a frown on your face, you know, like you've been had, but you've been had. And so I was just like trying to snap pictures real quick of people dancing, but there was a lot of people that left quickly, right? Their smile quickly left, and they went and sat in their seat. But who do you think ended up staying on the dance floor the longest, besides the bride and the groom. These little kids, I mean, they were loving it. I mean, they were twirling, and they were doing these spins, and they were, you know, having their dresses do crazy things. And there was one boy and his mom, I mean, he, I, 
I was going to have some pictures because I just love taking these pictures, but I just couldn't believe how many of these little kids just love to smile, right? They just love life. And that is so much like what I think that God wants us to have. He wants us to be people that just are full of joy. And to smile when, when things are happy, but even when things aren't happy, he wants us just to be content and have peace and, and, and not lose our joy. And what I've learned is that it's really a choice, just like it is a choice to walk off of that dance floor is a choice. I think it's really a choice whether you have joy or not. It's a choice whether, whether you trust God. Because that's really where joy comes from, right? Just like, is smiling a choice? I mean, like, nobody has, like, some kind of syndrome that you can't smile, right? I mean, you can. It's just, it's a choice, and there's benefits to it. I just pointed those out. There's benefits to actually just smiling. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine. Now, we're going to go to the New Testament here for a minute, but Peter, he's writing in 1 Peter, and we're going to look at verse, or chapter 3 here, but he's writing to people he cares about, you know, like to the church, and they're undergoing some pretty difficult times. It's not really what I would consider just, you know, overall persecution. It was more of like they just had a lot of, a lot of negativity thrown their way for sure. I mean, they've just lost respect. People won't, don't have any respect for the Christians back then. They, they just slandered them and, and gave them insults, and, and it just wasn't a popular thing to be a follower of Jesus. Does that not sound a little bit like today? I mean, things have changed for sure. I can remember the day when police officers had respect, when preachers have respect, and, you know, just a lot of these different people, but it's just not that, that way anymore. I don't walk into a room and I, and I feel like there's people respecting me if they, if they knew that I was a minister. Um, and I think it's this way it is with Christianity. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's just, it's just more insults, more the, we're looked at more of the problem uh, and things like this. So, so this is who uh, Peter's audience is. He's trying to talk to the church. He's trying to encourage them. Do you, you know where he goes for just to the word to encourage his church, Psalm 34. It's as if Peter spent some time in this passage that we just read and what we're talking about here. As if he was just like, spent some time contemplating what David went through, you know, in his distress. And this is where he, in verse 10 and 12, 10 through 12, is him quoting the psalm that I just read to you. It says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from the evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And again, it's just... What is he trying to express to the church? He's trying to express that you have some control here. 
you get to choose how you're going to respond to what's going on in society. And what it ultimately comes down to is, do you trust God that he's going to deliver you, to raise you up out of this? Because that is really where joy comes from, is us, us believing that we have a God that will raise us up. That, that no matter what's going our way, the circumstances in the world can really be trying to bring us down. The people can be trying to bring us down. Our, our, just the bad things that have happened to us trying to bring us down. But do we believe that there is a God who is going to raise us up out of that? And that's what Peter is trying to express to the church there, is continue to do good. Whoever desires to love life and good days, do you, do you desire to love life and good days? Then know that you have the ability to do that. It's just a matter of choosing. And he gave us a list, you know, keep your, your tongue from lying and these different things. But, but uh, the big part of it is choose to have a smile on your face. Choose to, in your soul, whether you, you are able to muster a smile today, because sometimes that is just not easy to do. But within your soul, you're going to still rejoice. Choose to taste that, that God is good. Right in verse 8 of 34, right? Ultimately, it comes down to verse 19. I just love that verse. In Psalm 34, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but, but the Lord delivers them, delivers him out of them all. Many are the afflictions, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Do you believe that? Or do you think that was just David? I mean, he's saying it because David got delivered. Good for David. I don't get delivered. It's, it's you that he's going to deliver. It's David he's going to deliver. It's me he's going to deliver. God loves us. And he's going to see us through it. No matter what the affliction is, he's going to see us through it. And so, so when Peter is using this passage, he's studying Psalm 34, and he realizes that this promise that David wrote about, and this attitude that David wrote about, could be his church's attitude. It could be his church's promise as well. And today, I'm just trying to help you understand that it can be your promise as well. It can be our promise. So, so when we look at David, we don't have to look at David and say, well, let's look and see how David was delivered like God delivered him up out of this. And had one, what kind of attitude David had out of this. We should look at it and look at that we could have that exact same thing. We can start, and start our day the way that he started this psalm. What did he say? I will praise the Lord no matter what. No matter what goes on. I will, I will praise him at all times. Isn't that what he says? At all times. I, I, I shall continually, praise shall continually be out of my mouth. And he's just talking about in the good and the bad, it's going to come. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this smile. And I'm just going to trust that it is not going to let me down. In all times, you know, the all times thing is, is the thing that really we ought to contemplate. We ought to meditate on that a little bit because... What does it mean all times? Well, that means that 
it's through some really tough times. Through some really, really dark times. Through some really painful times. Choosing to just choose to praise. Choosing just to, to do these things. No matter whether it's under uncertain times. No matter if I'm feeling impatient because this crazy pandemic won't let us get back to normal. I'm going to choose to praise. And it is a choice. And in the midst of that choosing, something comes that is like almost eternal and it's, it's called joy. It's just there. And sometimes it radiates itself where it's just like a kid on a dance floor. He just can't help but smile and move and, and just be in the groove, right? And then sometimes it's, it's just the joy that comes looking at children that radiate that. In other words, it's, it's not that necessarily that I'm feeling that, but I'm, I'm, I see in that, and it's filling me up. I don't know. I got, I got joy out of just watching these kids. Have you ever done that? Just watching somebody else just radiate? I think sometimes we watch the, like, those, those, um, those game shows. And one of the things that brings us back is just because when there's something about watching them get all jumpity, jumpity and acting like little kids that makes us feel a little bit good. And sometimes it's that too, right? There's this, not necessarily are we that person that's jumping up and down, but we are that person that still feels joy, like there's this sense of peace and contentment that comes. But no matter, in all circumstances, David says, I've tasted and I have experienced that God is good. Do that with me, he's expressing, right? Exalt him with me, as he says. And so Peter, he wants, he wants that for his people. He wants his church to, even though they're being insulted and, and just not treated well, he wants them to have what David had. And I just think God wants us all to have it. But it really is completely dependent on each individual whether they have it or not. Because it's a choice. You, you choose it by choosing whom you will trust. You choose it by praising him regardless of what's going on in your life. You, you, you seek it. And that's a lot of the, the words that he uses here. It's, it's got to do with, I seek, you know, I'm seeking him. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to, I'm going to look for him. And so therefore, it, it takes some intentionality, right? Anybody that goes on a diet, don't just bump into it. <laughs> they intentionally pursue it. And I think that the same way with joy. It's, it takes some discipline. But the result is awesome. I'm going to give you one more study that I found somewhat fascinating because I just want to make sure you leave here realizing that this is yours if you want it. If you choose it, you, you can have joy. Every one of us. But this one is just about the power of gratitude. And this study is done by Robert Eamon's 
He's a PhD in psychology, psychology professor in the University of California. I, I don't think he's a believer, but he's definitely a believer in gratitude. And so he's studied this, you know, uh, and, and he and a colleague of his for a long time, and he just says, for, for, for too long the concept of gratitude has been ignored, is what he says. And anyway, in this research with Michael McAuliffe, um, they, they did this thing where they were just doing questionnaires. They had, you know, all these people that would participate, that would participate, and, and they kind of divide them up just as they do these studies. And the, 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 the party or the group that were supposed to be the ones who exemplify gratitude, they gave them like this journal, and they were supposed to just write down all of their gratitude. Basically what they were doing is they had to count their blessings, name them one by one, Right. Uh, and that's what they were doing. And the journal just encouraged that behavior of just choosing to, you know, recognize um, your blessings, recognize things that you're thankful for, recognize gratitude things. And the other group, they just kind of left them alone and just observed them, basically. But here's what they found in their study, is that that when people were counting blessings, it boosted their health. It literally lowered their blood pressure. It gave them more energy. They were less prone for depression and stress. I think it's true. Because I've tried them both. (laughs) Right? I've tried living my life with gratitude for a period of time. I've tried living my life with not really showing much gratitude for a period of time. I'm, I was definitely happier when I was being in the gratitude stage, right? And that's where I'm at right now, trying to be. I'm more happy, more content. I do feel like I probably have more energy than when I am looking at the negative on everything. So it all makes sense to me. He also says that it slows down the aging clock. I'm sure hoping that's true. That the more gratitude that you are, there's something that the neuro whatever this gigantic word is, it does something to you. And it just, it just helps. It, cortisol is not something that you want. I guess it's a stress hormone. It lowers that when you are being somebody intentionally showing gratitude in your life. And they just go on and on. It talks about relationships, that their relationships and the people that were having this journal, their relationships, they reported improved and got better just because they were keeping track. I, I, I have, and I can't remember all of these things, but I, have, I remember listening not too long ago to a guy that, that it was, he, again, I don't know that he's really a Christian. I might be a believer. If he is, he's definitely borderline, right? But he's talking about a friend of his that's not a Christian, but he lives in Japan somewhere, and that he... I can't even remember, but he goes through the day he has to um, be thankful for like a hundred things or something, but he has to name them. He can't just, you know, say, ah, I was thankful today for a hundred things, but he has to name them. Like, I'm I'm thankful for having a car to be able to get from point A to point B and don't have to walk. I'm thankful when he's drinking water. I'm thankful for this water because if I didn't have this water, I wouldn't be able to survive. And so he has to literally say them out loud. Uh, or write them down. I can't exactly remember. And he was just marveling at that and just saying that, man, I know that that kind of stuff works, and I've been trying to practice that myself. So we just, 
We know, but the point is, all I'm trying to say is, is that there's so many things that are choice. You can choose to smile, and because you choose to smile, life is going to be better for you. You can choose to have gratitude, and because you choose to have gratitude, life is going to be better for you. You can choose to have joy. And if you choose to have joy, life is going to be better for you. But the only way to have joy is it being in Jesus Christ. For David, it was in God. And he chooses to wake up praising God, no matter, in, in whatever, in all circumstances. No matter what he wakes up tomorrow, he is going to choose to praise God. And he demonstrated that. He didn't just write these psalms when things were good. He wrote a lot of these psalms when things weren't good. And he still was expressing his trust in God and the joy that comes out of it. So let me just close with this. We're just going to back up. So we're in 34. I'm going to start with a verse in 30, 32, and then a couple in 33, and then I'm going to pray. I just want you to see this sense that D- David has this. It, it's just in all the Psalms, really. I just had to choose one, but we could have went to so many. Psalm 32, verse 10, it says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked. And I obviously am drawn to this word steadfast, right? Remember our lighthouse? And that's what we want. But many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love resounds, surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So many are the sorrows of the wicked. But he encourages us to shout for joy, all you upright in heart. In Psalm 31, or 33, verse 1, he says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits, befits the upright. And, and then it, it, so that's how he begins this psalm. And at the end of this psalm, in verse like 22, it says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, there's that word again, right? O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. And he's just expressing, so he expresses, you know, let there be joy um, at the beginning of the psalm and at the end, it's like he just tells you how to do it. You've you got to trust in God. You've got to wait upon God. Do you believe that God can raise you up? Do you believe that you could be in a, in a really, really tough, painful, difficult situation, whatever it would be? Do you believe that when you're in that place that he can raise you up? Because if you do, joy is yours. That's where it comes from. It is a choice, but it's a choice of trusting God. And when we trust God with whatever circumstance we're in, the benefit of that is joy. And so that's why joy is a, a choice as well. There's one last verse. It's not up here. I just thought of this. Um... As just before I come up here, but in James chapter 1, verse 2, remember where it says, count it all joy 
what, you know what comes next, right? Because you guys know that verse really well. Count all joy, knowing that the testing or when you meet trials, the ESV says, when you meet trials of various kinds. I think the, the NIV says when you encounter uh, trials of many colors or many kinds. Count it joy. When, does that not, I mean, I always, every time I talk about that verse, I always think back of what, when I first read it, when I was a brand new Christian, and I thought, that's the most ridiculous thing. You count it joy when you go through trials of many kinds? You do if you're in Jesus, and that's what I had to learn. I didn't know that when I first became a Christian. And so it seems so foreign, like that's the silliest thing I've, that's ever been written, surely. But now that I have matured and I've been in Christ for like 30-some years, now I understand. Now I know that these trials can't rob me of joy. I can still count them as joy. I can still have this contentment. I can still have this peace. It's not like being on the dance floor, but it is still something that I can have, and it didn't get robbed. Why? Because I know what happens. I know he's got me, right? That's why it says, for we know that the testing of our faith produces, what does it produce? Steadfast. So if if we could throw up that lighthouse, that's what it produces, right? It, It produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And this is what we're after. And this is what produce when, when we count it joy, even when we have trials of many kinds. Let me pray. Father God, I, uh, I thank you so much for just the encouragement that we have in the Psalm of David and just how he, just where he was writing from and how he was able to express and capture something that we all need and all want. How he was able to just help guide us through these difficult circumstances and for us to just be encouraged by them, to us us know that we can have joy, that we can choose it by choosing to trust you in the midst of whatever is going on in our lives. We thank you, Father, that you enrich our lives. We thank you that you, you make us steadfast and complete, not lacking anything. You make us like a lighthouse. It is all your work in us. The only thing that we do is just yield ourselves to you. We just pretty much just give you permission. We choose you. We get this. We thank you so much, Father, for all that we have in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Stepped out on the deck last night to try to catch sight of the, uh, the nocturnal ringtail bandit bird. Unfortunately, I didn't get seen. But what I did see kind of fits this morning. I saw lightning bugs. Now, I mean, some of you might remember going out and some, on these early summer nights, late spring, early summer nights, and trying to catch lightning bugs. 
And you know, they're really easy to see when their light comes on and you reach out and all of a sudden the light goes out and they're not there. Like, where'd they go? But there's just, and, and you do that for hours, it seems like. And, and it's so much fun and it's just, it's just that feeling inside of, of that, call it joy. But I'm going to leave those of you out there terrorizing the little bugs in the backyard to those of us who are sitting up on the deck or up on the porch or around the pool deck watching the little ones chase fireflies, watching them run around try to catch them. And you see the one little kid, he's barreling at this one that's lit up and all of a sudden the light goes out and the kid just, kid just runs right straight past it. And you're filled with joy. Because you're sitting up there on deck and you're remembering the joy you had as a child chasing fireflies or lightning bugs. And at the moment, you're also feeling that joy inside, knowing that things go on and that they keep going. One writer talks about joy being something that we remember from the past. It's hard to capture in the moment because it's kind of like playing the game. You all remember playing the game? that you're winning the game as long as you don't think about the game, you're welcome. <laughs> but it's that fleeting moment when you think, man, this is a joy, doggone it, it's gone. You think about that, you try to capture that joyful moment, you try to make it in there, but when you look back, it's easier to see that you were in a joyful moment. But it's also, joy is also something that we look forward to. The joy is something that's coming down the road for us. There's a song, and so the lyric ends this way. Cold-hearted orb that rules the night, removes the colors from our sight. Red is gray and yellow white, but, it, but we decide which is right. Excuse me, removes the colors from our sight. Red is gray and yellow white, but we decide which is right. And which is an illusion. I think about Christ on that last meal, that he sat there at that table and, and he's got the bread and he's got the wine. He's washed the feet of his disciples. He's preparing them for something that's coming. But I can't help but think that in that moment, Christ has to have so much joy in his heart because he knows what's coming. He knows that he's going to have this meal and when he's done with this meal, he's going to go to a cross. And yeah, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of pain and turmoil and hurt. But when he comes out the other side, there's something more joyous. He fulfills the law and the prophets. And he, he conquers over death in that moment. I think that's where we have to be when we come to the table. Maybe... Maybe we have the joy of something remembered. Maybe we're having a little trouble grabbing joy in the moment because it's, again, fleeting if you remember the game. But if we think about joy coming tomorrow, we can look forward to what it's going to be. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he says it this way. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's not death, it's life. Because we know that he's coming back. You can't be dead and come back. He can't be dead and not come back. That's the joy. But as the lyric ended, we decide which is the illusion. The illusion is not Christ. Illusion is death. Life is the choice. Christ chose life. As we're at the table, we need to remember that we have to choose life. And as Mike said, it's, it's a choice. It is our choice to be joyful, to be happy, to enjoy the things that Christ wants us to enjoy, to remember who we are in him. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to this table and our hearts are full. Our hearts have to be full of the joy knowing that you came to this table willingly for us and you ask us to remember you every time we come to it. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for the promise of what is coming that the cold-hearted orb cannot rob us of anything unless we let it. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your obedience. We thank, thank you for your love for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son and the sacrifice that you made by sending him to us. And it's in his name we pray, amen.